running boom of the 70s came during simpler pre-internet times. A unique cast of characters riding that wave came of age. You never knew who would show up, and races became household names, attracting capacity fields year in and year out. Co-hosts Ron Galuli, John Gorman, and Grant Whitney, inspired by the first runners reunion in 2019, speak with some of the characters of the era, share their stories, and where they are today. There's something for everyone in each installment of the Runners Reunion Podcast. Good afternoon, avid listeners of the Runners Reunion Podcast. Welcome to Episode 5, Season 3 in our journey on the running boom of the 70s, then and what it means to us now. Um, I've been remiss on several occasions now for not acknowledging to our listeners that we want to hear from you. Please don't be shy about giving us a rating, something that you liked, something you didn't like. Give us some comments and also give us some suggestions. Plenty of avenues to do that, whether it's on the Facebook page, um, on the iPod, Podbean rather, platform, iTunes, or wherever you listen and wherever you download this podcast. So please, let's hear from you. I'm delighted to have as our guest this afternoon somebody from Rhode Island. This is somebody who cut her teeth uh, in high school and in college, all in the 35-mile east-to-west dimension of Rhode Island. A graduate of St. Xavier High School in Providence and a proud graduate of Providence College, with a bachelor's degree in health science in 1980. I look forward, we all look forward to having an in-depth conversation with Janice Cataldo. Janice, thank you for joining us on the Runners Reunion Podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm honored that you asked me to be on. Well, there's already a lot of good stuff. There's been a lot of uh, jockeying back and forth, some jocular joking and such that hopefully is still G-rated that will come out over the course of our time together, um, you know, this afternoon. Um, But let's cut to the quick a little bit here. You are occupying an interesting spot in in the history of running in Rhode Island, in the sense that you were a first, and we're going to get to that in a second. But talk to me a little bit how you got into physical activity and more and running specific. It doesn't sound like it was necessarily kick the can and all those other kind of things around the neighborhood. Sounds like it was a little later for you. Can you give us a little uh, taste of, of what that was like for you? Yes, I'm one of six girls. So my Italian parents didn't really want us to play, um, become athletes. So we learned to sew and sing and play the piano. But sports wasn't really in the picture then. So I really didn't start running till um, very late. Okay, well, uh, tell us a little bit about it. Was it suddenly a moment of inspiration that came to you? Or was there some sort of other manifestation that brought it to your attention and then how do you sell it to mom and dad well I was always fast I knew that because I would race the boys and in gym class I would get picked to be with the boys in the gym class so I knew I was fast so one day in gym class in high school I was a, a junior the basketball coach said you're faster than all these other kids you should be on the track team and luckily I I wasn't working and doing anything else at that time so I did I joined the track team at that point so, okay, but you just said that you're, it's not necessarily that you were kind of, were you being a rebel? Were you being a, a, a rebel in the family by doing something like this as one of six girls? 
Yeah, and a, and a little bit. Like I could remember there was a track meet and my mom was like, well, you've got to work. And I had to miss a track meet because I had to work. And at one point in this, I was not going to be able to compete in the state meet because I had missed um, a couple of big events. But because work was more important back then, you know, to help you get into college and pay for college and academics was more important than sports too at that point. None of my other sisters really played sports either at, to the, at this point either. And, and where are you in birth order? Where do you fit? I'm in the middle. You're the middle. So uh, around number three or three and four, somewhere in there. Okay. Yes. So you're, so what I'm understanding is it wasn't until junior year, 1975, um, and it was track. It wasn't cross country. And when you got on the track after that uh, basketball coach or gym teacher said you should try out, where did that, where did they put you? Were you sprinting? Were you jumping? How did, how did you find yourself on the oval as opposed to in the pits or yeah. things like that? I did the 100, the 200, and the 400. Oh, wow. Okay. So shorting, starting pretty short uh, because of the, of the leg speed. Okay. And did you experience immediate success? Well, I, yeah, my senior year, I made the all-state track team in the 400, and we made it in the relay as well. So I was lucky. I did what they say. You can't teach speed. I was lucky. I was fast enough to, okay. and I had good coaches, so they were able to develop me in that short period of time. Okay. And um, in this light, this is, so you really only have two, quote unquote, outdoor seasons, um, okay. 75 and 76. Did you... In between school years, did you were you active in running, or was it kind of well that was a great season, and then you know well you're going you're working probably getting ready for senior year, then you got to think about college and all that stuff. But did, was there any carryover in between you know your junior spring running into your uh, senior year? No pun intended. No, not in high school. We didn't know enough to do that in <laughs> high school. Nobody did really back then. Okay, so you just went cold turkey after the state meet, let's say, you know, and um, or at least maybe junior year, and then, and then you only had one year of cross country, right? With that, correct? If you okay, and well, what was that like? I mean, it's one thing to be on an oval; it's another thing to go over hill and dale. Uh, what was your initial yeah. reaction? Yeah, it was difficult, but I think I was lucky to have speed and a good coach, so. And the distance back then, I don't even think we ran three miles. I think we ran less than two miles. So okay. it wasn't torture for me. Okay. And I'm, I'm mindful of the fact that uh, some of your notable performances and uh, all of that are far more than 400 meters. So um, I think we'll, we'll revisit this notion of speed and strength in a different fashion as we, as we kind of go forward here. Now, you just mentioned one of six very strict Italian family. Academics were important. Working was important. So as we kind of move forward, even with some of that relative success, I'm, would I be out going out on a limb if I said that academics was was more the driver for you as you thought about college? Sure was. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So what were I your mean, options? I, yeah, what were your options? Back then, you didn't, we didn't leave Rhode Island. So I had two options, Providence College or Rhode Island College. URI had a very bad reputation at that point. Not a bad reputation for me. I thought it was a wonderful reputation, but for my parents, there was no way I was going to URI. They would cut out articles about the party school reputation and post it on the refrigerator. So I had two options, Rhode Island College or Providence College. Um, uh, uh, just for reference, we do want to note that John Gorman, one of our co-hosts, is a proud graduate of URI. 
which makes him a little suspicious. And we should also note that Ron Kabuli is a, a proud graduate of Rhode Island College. So he's one of the good guys. So with that, and we got Providence College. So I think we've got all three covered. So uh, just yeah. for, you know, just to be- Although I, I, I do recall going to a lot of parties <laughs> while I was at Rick at Providence College. So maybe uh, the, the word didn't get out to your parents about that. <laughs> I think your parents were brainwashed about the reputation and uh, never gave URI a chance. Oh, so, boy. Too well, minded <laughs> uh, I heard they started partying on Thursday nights, John. They didn't wait for the we weekend. Did. Hey, listen, I don't have any a police record, clean record, my whole life. So a lot of good people coming out of URI. <laughs> so, but Janice, what was, what was the difference between Rick and uh, PC from your perspective or the family's perspective? Um, well, you know, I was Catholic and I was going into pre-med and they didn't have that when I was okay. in college. So. Okay. All right. So that means if I do my math correctly, which is always an if, um, it looks like you enter college in the fall of 76. And for our listeners, just as a reminder, Title IX, um, and, and so even having a high school track team at St. Xavier's or, or what have you, had only been in existence. Title IX is 1972. It's literally just being rolled out. So you had to be However long St. Xavier was doing it, it hadn't been that long, probably, if, if it predated uh, you know, Title IX. And yet you arrived at Providence, and drumroll please, there was no program. Is that they right? Promised, they promised to have a track and cross-country program soon there. So my freshman year was really just lobbying to get the team going. And um, they, well, they who was lobbying, Janice. I'm going to drill down on this. Were you lobbying, or were some other people? Were your parents lobbying? Who, who were who were the lobbyists of the administration? I think I was lobbying by myself. Okay, there wasn't any other girl who had come that I knew of. And in and right away, my sophomore year, there wasn't a whole group of women who came to PC to run besides me at that point. There wasn't okay. anyone else. So I was lobbying the athletic director to have the team put in place. Well, that has, takes some, maybe the word, that, the word that springs to mind is gumption as a young woman um, going up against an adult, you know, kind of figure saying, I want this program. What was it that seized you? What was it that, that for you um, made it worth your time and energy and effort to want to have this happen? Well, I, I was a runner, so I, I needed it. Yeah. And they they had alluded to the fact that they would put a program together, too. So it wasn't okay. like I went in cold and said, hey, let's get a new program here. I'll do whatever I can. No, they had alluded to the fact that they were going to put a program together. And I think, you know, it's a lot less expensive than some other programs, like the having a, a girls basketball team or a field hockey team, a tennis team. You know, you get five girls to run and that doesn't really cost you much. So uh, what was the landscape at PC for women's athletics at when you arrived? It sounds like there were other sports already established. Is that fair to say? Yeah, there were some really strong women's sports at Providence College at that time. I think because they had gone co-ed, they also wanted to draw some really good female runners and I mean, female athletes. And they did. They had a good basketball program there, a strong field hockey program there. So they did a good job of taking care of women's sports when I arrived. And so do you have any sense as to what was the moment when with this lobbying and this advocacy, somehow you learned that indeed it was going to happen. Somebody was going to be hired or that 
there was now budget for it. How do you remember that arc actually happening? I think they needed a coach and I think they got the athletic trainer, Kathy Sarah, to become the coach. And she had some running experience. So, and she was great with women. So I think they let her, they could balance her time as the athletic trainer to being the coach at the same time. And I think that's what really sealed it for them. And I don't think it was very costly. We would wear cotton shirt. I had like a cotton t-shirt and cotton shorts. And so there wasn't any expense. So when the women's program started to build, uh, didn't that have an effect on some of the other sports? Like uh, I know eventually they had to cut out uh, baseball out of the program and a few other things, just like other schools. Do you, do you remember that at all? Or? I absolutely do. Yes, it yeah. was a bad time for um, men's baseball. And, you know, Title IX did hurt men, some men's sports. I, I definitely agree with that. But it mm-hmm. gave me an opportunity and gave all these other women an opportunity to compete too. So yeah. it's a balance. Yeah. I mean, sure, yeah. the men's basketball team at Providence College back then, it was a wonderful season. They did great. They brought a lot of money in. They did put a lot of effort into the men's programs. There were a lot of wonderful mm-hmm. men's programs too, but it gave women like me a chance. Yeah. And look what happened to the women's cross country program over yeah. time. Yeah. One could argue, whether you agree or not, I'm going to come out and say it. You, know, you, could, you were you know, a, a pivotal force in, in the nudging or the advocacy to create a program. Did you, did you find yourself being a recruiter as well? Uh, in other words, of your current student body, were were you going around the dorms and saying, "Hey, I thought I saw you jogging. Do you want to come out for the team?" Did you assume that kind of role, or how did it? It's one thing to say you have a program. How do you build a program, literally from the beginning? Yeah, I mean, I, when when any woman showed any interest, I would make it fun. I try to make the program fun. So, you know, running, you could. I I talk a lot. You can talk the whole time I'm running unless I'm on the track doing speed workout. <laughs> okay. So just keep it, kept it fun, kept it lively. Um, we would go off on our own. We had the men's men's team was wonderful. They would uh, mock off some loops for us. And I would always have us, we had to run together because, you know, we're in Providence and you would running through Oneyville and not always the best sections of Providence. So we would run together. And I think we made it fun and we did. We had a good time. So year one, you know, the program starts, women's uh, running or cross country or track, right, however you want to frame it, in the fall of 77. What's your memory of how many women came out or how many how many women were part of that inaugural team, that inaugural effort for the year that yeah. you wanted? It was small, Grant. Mm-hmm. It was small. And I, I look at like the year, my senior year when um, Susan Radcliffe joined. We okay. were massive by then. We had like 30 women on the track team and the cross country team. So we really grew very it quickly. Took a while. Yeah, it took a well, while. Well, because if we, you're yeah. if you're starting in 77, and when did Susan arrive? She arrived in the fall of two years. She arrived at 78. 78, 79. Okay. Or okay. So that's pretty astronomical growth, it sounds like. So it sounds like there was a built-in demand uh in some way, shape, or form. And what do you I mean? Do you take any credit for it? I mean, not to make that such a pointed question, but what do you think it was? No, I don't take credit for it. I think women really started to want to be active. Like Uh I was a cheerleader, which I hate to admit, but like you're on the sidelines. What am I doing? I could be there. I could be getting right in the middle of it, getting all those accolades. Like, so I think women get it. 
Look at look what happened since then. Women did get it. They want to compete. They want to be there. They want to be in the arena, right? Just don't have to persuade me, Janice. You got me. You got me. I've I've got it. But so as you think about those years, we're going to say, you know, call it because you graduated 1980. So you've got the fall of 77, fall of 78, fall of 79. As you look back at those formative years, what for you were the highlights of being among that first, you know, that first cohort, let's call it? Yeah, we qualified for the nationals. So we we would I mean, the guys team had it just as bad. We were running on a wooden track that it was like a trampoline. We were running on a trampoline on a wooden track way out in the middle, or we would run run up to Rhode Island College to run. Run at a better track than we had. Run up to the track at Rhode Island College to train, and then you know you're running on the roads trying to beat cars to the intersections. We didn't have a lot of knowledge back then, but we qualified for the nationals. The only five of us were allowed. To, we had to fight to go to the nationals. Only only five of us were allowed to go. So you're good enough. My gosh, this is less than two years after program inception, and you're qualifying for the nationals. I don't care what level. That's pretty impressive. What's the backstory? What's the detail there? It was going to cost money. It was at Florida State in Tallahassee, and you know, it was, we were a new program. No one expected us to cost money. We, you know, we're running cross country. We're buying our own shoes. We're wearing these cotton shirts and. And all of a sudden, now we are, we, we got to cost them some money. I think Providence College is like, whoa, what happened here? We budgeted this. No one expected this to happen. So initially, the the athletic director was, no way, you're not going. So Susan Radcliffe and I, we were like, legally, you have to send us. We looked it up, and we were able to show that they had to send us. So they well, did. Well, there you go. You got the five. You got the five runners in. You got a, a full squad that went. Yeah, luckily what? nobody got hurt because we only we needed five to compete and we only got five to go. But we it, we had a great time. It was, you know, there's a line of women almost like a half mile long and you're all charging forward. And it was just so exciting. It was a wonderful thing. That really was, you know, this was it. I mean, that really cemented in some ways how far the program had come in such a short amount of time to be on that national stage in that moment. That is amazing. That's really uh, what a great memory uh, to have. That would have been the fall. And then how did it, uh, uh, fall of 79, right? Yeah, fall of 79. You're graduating in 80. Any particular landmark moments that you think of and reflect on as you think about, you know, your your glide path out with a, you know, with a bachelor's coming in the spring of 1980? How did the, how did the track arc work for you in college? We had a great track season. Um, We had John Hurd come and coach us outdoor track. Okay. And okay. Um, we did a great job. We, uh, I, I made the New England team. John, John did a wonderful job, and you know everything went really well. And I still was loving running, and I knew I wanted to keep running after I graduated. Okay. Let me ask you this: we, we've touched on it a little bit from the male perspective. We've had a few uh, Providence College, or at least one guy on, and we've had some anecdotes connected. How would you describe the? relationship between the two programs because 1977 78 you've got the men uh being incredibly competitive am i right guys is that was that the year they they were uh those two years where they were really powerhouses 77 78 or 78 79 i forget which 81 82 i think they got second in the ncas but they they were every bit as talented and good back in the 70s i don't know what exactly exact yeah. place they they got but they had uh, obviously Mick O'Shea, Mick Byrne, 
John Tracy and, and then and Charlie was in yeah. there and, and Greggy and then you know others have followed. But but yeah. how what was that relationship? I mean, I can imagine in some places it's competition, regardless of whether it's you know uh, men or women or the sport. But was it a collaborative thing? What was what's your sense of the connection or lack of connection between the two programs, men and women? It was wonderful. I mean, someone like Ray Tracy, Jeff Smith actually had come to PC at that point. Jimmy Fallon, Mickelshade, Dan Dillon, they were wonderful. They were like coaches for us. They they would map out routes. I can remember them telling us, you, you know, you girls eat terrible. And we, we did eat terrible. And they would like, they had so much more experience than any of us had from all the years they had of running. So they were they were big help for us. And I, I got to train with them a few times. They would like, if they're going on a long run and I wanted to do one, they'd say, yeah, come along with us. And of course, a couple of them, you know, men stayed back and ran with me. I'm sure they had to give up their training one that day, but they were good about it. No, they were, it was definitely collaborative. Well, that's definitely. Great. I mean, that, that's really nice. Talk. Oh, yeah, John. Well, I was um, doing some uh, investigative work on you to this morning, but I was, uh, what was the name? I know I forget the name of your uh, Providence College paper. I forget the name of it, I forget the name of it, but it was all different articles, you know, and had you mention you. In it, uh, and about oh, cowl, C O W L, the cowl, the cowl, yes. yeah, yeah. But it was just kind of this, this such disparity between the men's articles and the women's, the girls' little tiny thing, you know, okay. about the cross country, girls' cross country, and then the men's was like this, you know, so it was kind of interesting, but it was kind of natural, but it was definitely noticeable. But I did find your name eventually because now you are, uh. I, I, hopefully you would agree. You start running as a junior in high school. You've now gotten through with a little bit of a gap there, you know, three or four approaching five years of running. But now your collegiate days are drawing to a close. You've already alluded to the fact that you wanted to keep going in some capacity. So what was your thinking? What was your, um, you're graduating. There's probably a job. You know, we know the work ethos that, you know, comes with you. So what were you, what was the... What factors were you thinking about at that time? I wanted to keep running and I knew that my speed wasn't that great and I wasn't going to be like, you know, 400 runner, 880. I needed to move up in distance and you can get better and better. I mean, there's really no end to how much better you can get if you uh, increase the distance. So by moving from like the 3000 to the 5000 to the 10,000, I could get better if I worked really hard at it. And so running the roads and um, doing longer races worked for me. So I started to train more and there were road races like every weekend and they were just wonderful. You would, you could pick a race on a Saturday and then a week later, there'd be another big race. And when I say big races, I'm telling you like 500 runners, even more. And so it was exciting times and every race would have, like a big event beforehand, food and maybe alcohol after. So it was like a day, a day of celebration. I, I just loved it. Uh, running outdoors, running the roads, you made, made so many friends. It was, and then, and then not only did you, if you did well, there would be a newspaper article. They'd have, they'd rank, they'd have like the top three men, but they'd have the top three women. They'd have it by age group. So like women of all ages were really into it too. And there was always a lot of men running, but there were a lot of women running too. So it was just a great time in the 80s. Talk to us a little bit about that. Did, 
if you think back to yourself as a mid-20s person, you know, 22 to 26, something like that, you're really starting to get invested uh, in the roads. Were you conscious that you were, or, or did you ever see yourself as a role model? Maybe that's the question. Yeah, I guess. Um, there were other women running too, and I emulated them and wanted to be as good as they were. And you know, I always felt like in some of the women's races, that was a really good way to um, show my strength and work really hard. And later on in life, I felt that in my business world, I became a mentor to other, not only women to men too, to say, look, you can have a life, you can raise kids and you can work and you can balance that all if you, you know are committed to it. So I, yeah, I would say in my professional life, I spent more time as a, a mentor to the people that worked for me. I, I got my MBA and became a CFO and managed a lot of people. And that's Running teaches you how to be a good citizen, how to be a good person, how to put effort in and make something of yourself. Janice, that's been a common theme with some of our other guests. I know Tom Egan mentioned it, that running and participating in competition and just by virtue of the mental part of the sport, that it provided them confidence in other facets of their life. So. It's a good example of that. Running is tough. Like you, you, I worked, I worked, I got my MBA at night. So you're working, you, you're running when you get out of work, you're going to school at night and you're trying to do that all. And it's like discipline and that mm -hmm. discipline, that grit that you need to get through, the grit you learn from the roads helped me in my professional life. I think totally take credit for running to making me the success I got out of work. So let me, you know, uh, I am the, uh, I, I have no frame of reference for this. So, so I'm going to lean on the three of you. When we think about early 80s road racing in Rhode Island, what are the, outside of the Ocean State Marathon, for example, what would be the big road races? The ones that, you know, you all wanted to be there or knew you should be there as kind of the marquee uh, events. So the, the bank had a big one. I remember, of course, Black Island and Narragansett always had 800 to 1,000 runners, and they still do. Narragansett, Narragansett okay. at 10 miler, always had a, a, a great turnout. Rich Classic, the Arnold Mills 4th, 4th of July race in Cumberland, yep. the Classic uh, Road oh, Race. The, the, the Old Stone Road Race. race. Oh, do you said Old Stone, John? Is Old Stone Road Race. Yeah. A couple, yeah, yeah, a couple of years. Uh, but it was good. It was big right in Providence. Yeah. Um, uh, Blessing of the Fleet, is that Narragansett or is that something else? Yes, in Narragansett, yep. That's it. And, and am I correct in thinking you won that four times? Yes, yep. Okay. Uh, was there any uh, crossover there with uh, Mr. Galuli? Was he or was he a, a, a champion there at one point? Yes, he was. 1981. 1981, yeah. Okay. And I think I got second in 87. Okay. But yeah, that was the only time I won. Uh, nice. Okay. So we have a little, we've connected the dots there. Any? I came, I came in 10th. I came in 10th and 11th. Out of a thousand. That's great. I dropped out once. In the top 1%. There you go. <laughs> so, but when you think back to those days, and you've already mentioned the, the kind of, um, uh, well, it's an all-day affair, right? Uh, you know, there's uh, there's energy before, there's the race, there's the 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 job well done, the sense of relief and and perhaps beverages and food and all that after the fact. In your experience, Janice, what were the highlight races for you? Which ones were like, doesn't matter how well I do, I just love this race. It's the people, it's the 
scenery. It's a locale. Was there, are there any that stand out? Well, of course, Block Island and the Narragansett 10 Miler. Block Island was a weekend. So was the Narragansett 10 Miler a weekend. I also went to uh, Manchester, Connecticut. That was a very big race. And I won that one year. It was lucky there wasn't a big turnout for female runners, but it was like the press, the, I was like waiting my turn to get my, to talk to different journalists. It was just such a big deal to win that race. And Holyoke, uh, Ron, I, you know, you went, you went to Holyoke. Oh, it was like a weekend and have a parade yeah. with the, we, if you won that race, I won one year, we had to go in the parade in this open truck and wave to people. And yeah, I, there was a lot of, I had a lot of nice experiences running road races and, you know, not just me, I think like, I mean, winning it or even coming in the top five was a big deal, but there were, it was, uh, running was a great equalizer. There, there were other people who had just as much fun. Like we'd go to Black Island, everyone was having fun. I would think, yeah, I had fun if I won it, but if I didn't win it, I'd still have a great time. Did, there. did you run, did you run the year? Uh, I think it was 1982, maybe. Um, they had the Fort Adams road race the day after Narragansett. And John Gregoric won the 10 miler. And then he raced Vinnie Fleming, who was in peak shape in Fort Adams. And Vinnie beat him by like a few seconds. So were you around for that one? That was classic. I'm sure I went to watch. I ran Fort Adams and, and did great there. I love that race too. Um, yeah. But to watch those races too, like I would, I didn't run, couldn't run all the time, right? So you, I would go to races, which is you think. Yeah. You run on them and you're still going to them. Like you run on a Saturday and then go to another one on a Sunday, but you wouldn't miss it. It was like this mm -hmm. social. Big social event. Yeah. Exactly, Ron. Okay. Clearly a lot of Rhode Island fixtures. You've talked about Connecticut. You've talked about Holyoke. Do you have the New England, you know, qu or quintuplet? Have you, have you raced? Did you in those days race in New Hampshire or Maine or Vermont? Yeah, yeah. So, so you see, there was this um, prejudice if you only raced in Rhode Island because, yeah, if I'm only racing Rhode Island. I'm sure going to do much better, and I did do well racing in Rhode Island. So there was this. Well, you're only good because you raced in Rhode Island. So of course, I I did run the Bonnie Bell 10K. That was one of my favorite races, and I did excellent there because it's yeah, nice that? and flat. Bonnie that Bell, was that was in, in Boston. Uh, Boston. October 83, they had it. Okay. It was a women's race. So that, like, there was, uh, there were other ones, the um, uh, the Milk Run. Mm, okay. You hit the circuit. Really. A you little bit. Some... Not as much. I mean, it was great running in Rhode Island and dominating in Rhode Island. So, yes, wasn't going to do as well if I always ran in Boston or New Hampshire or Vermont, but I did a few. Now, I, I heard at some point that in that time frame, and whether it was, you know, applicable to New England, Massachusetts, or or even Rhode Island, that that was a time of TVs. In other words, if you won, um, it, it would not be a surprise if one of the prizes, if you will, was a TV. Did that ever? Yeah, yeah? Okay. I did. I won a TV. I won a couple. I won a TV in the Manchester race. Okay. Um, but I don't remember all of it. Can you imagine you're working, make, trying to make money, and all of a sudden somebody gives you like new pair of shoes. That was like a big deal. So a TV was a big deal. Like we were eating tomato soup with popcorn floating in it. So are you kidding? <laughs> popcorn in it. Okay. I haven't heard of that one. But, you needed uh, carbohydrates too. Oh, there you go. 
so so aside from the events themselves um what about the quote unquote the 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 unity of a team you had that in college what did you look for it after college and if so what kind of form did it ultimately take for you or that you found you know your 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 best moments in yes luckily um john hurd set up a a team called Ocean State Track Club, okay. and it was women from all over Rhode Island. A lot of so I met girls from Portsmouth, and, and that's how I met Susan Ratcliffe, Julie Collins. We all and heard we'd all run together, and we became good friends, and we would train together. And yeah, I really I'm a very social person. I really needed that, and having those girls to women to train with, it helped a lot. Like there's so much that can make you a good runner. You know, staying healthy. Having good training partners is key because you you know you can you can train as hard as you want, but without someone to to, to temper that or keep you help you with your track workouts, you you need that. So yeah. I was lucky. Ocean State Track Club helped a lot, and I also we also ran with Johnson and Wales. We okay. ran with them as well, but it was really the Ocean State Track Club that got the women together. Okay. And, so that so that's training. John Hurd is kind of the 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 name associated with yeah. that in he terms of the, that. Yes. he coached that. Okay, and how long would you say into the eighties did you choose to compete and or health permit you to compete at a you know pretty high level at least by your standards? How long did that kind of road probably experience? Like, um, I, I probably eight. I mean, I won Narragansett in eighty six, so probably like eighty six, eighty seven. And then I, you know, getting injured and mm -hmm. just getting older, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. mostly getting injured. Yeah. So probably I had a, a good run from in the mid eighties. Okay. And then, and then at some point career maybe is taking on a slightly different importance, maybe settling down is taking on uh, a different degree of importance. Uh, did th those factors come into play for you as well? Yeah. It's really hard to give it up. I can remember like I had my two little girls and I'm trying to run track, run around the track. And so I would set them in the middle of the track so I could run my loops around and just try to get home and make dinner. And yeah, I got, but it's hard to give it up because it's, there's nothing like the excitement of hitting a PR or winning a race. It's just, it's hard, very little that can equal the excitement and the thrill of that. I, I see a lot of runners not willing to give it up, not able to give it up because there's nuts until they try to find another sport. Right. But mm -hmm. I mean, I was like that. Yep. I loved it. I really had time giving it up. So uh, again, when I was investigating you uh, on Google, uh, <laughs> I noticed that your uh, name was mentioned in the book about Tommy Leonard. And, um, but so am I, but, but anyway, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it mentioned that uh, he invited you, along with a lot of big names, to the Holyoke Road Race. What was that experience like? Did, did Tommy contact you directly or through a conduit or how did that work out? Yeah, you know, I, I think I'm a really social person. So I love that, the part of uh, running where the race was done and you're meeting people. And yeah, so he will, he was like, he was very, very much um, an iconic part of running. And so he he wanted to find other people who loved it as much, but also had that excitement about it. Not that you're going to run and then that was it. He wanted someone to talk to after the race. I wasn't a big drinker, but I'd stand right beside him while he had his few drinks and keep chatting him up. 
So I think he liked that. He liked people who brought some excitement to it as well. He saw you as a good runner and said, and got you connected with Holyoke. Yes. And what about, uh, you've been to the Litchfield Road Race, right? Uh, oh, yes. And I forgot to mention that. Connecticut. Yeah. There's another great, fun weekend. The, the, you know, the race was important too, but so was having a party after and meeting a lot of new people, friends for life. Mm-hmm. Met people in Litchfield that became friends for life. They, families in that town would put you up in their house. And then, you know, you just felt this draw to that town and those people. So, so Jan, as you, you've already alluded to that, you know, injuries began to creep in and you're getting a little older and you're getting married and you're settling down and you're now a mother and you've got two kids. And, and but I'm struck um, understanding literally being at the beginning of PC and so soon after Title IX. Um, do you have any thoughts, reflections, if you will, of what you experienced yourself now as a mother looking through in terms of the opportunities and 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 choices that your daughters made, for example, if they chose to be athletic? Yeah, I think it's so wonderful for women. You know, it can open the door to a collegiate career you would never had if you didn't play sports. Um, it also, like the, I mentioned before, the discipline that you need to have. And then the camaraderie of women being with each other and competing Mm -hmm. against each other. Mm -hmm. And I love love watching the marathon and seeing these women push themselves to the very end. I still love watching women's sports. And I think this is a great opportunity for them. And if I was someone who was able to start at the beginning and had some impact on it for those women at PC who have done so well, well, great. But, you know, Title IX really did open the doors for them. You've also alluded to it. I'd love to drill down a little bit. When did you become conscious of, let's call it the transference of some of the skill sets that you associate with running discipline and and that commitment and those things and realized the mentorship? When did you begin to realize, oh my God, I'm bringing this over from you know the the my running days. I, you know I'm applying what I knew then to today. Do you have a, a, a recollection of a moment when you had that eureka moment? Yeah, I I did. That's when I went and got um, a master's in business because I was working in public health. I was at the health department, but working in, in a clinical kind of setting. And I thought, no, I really want to manage people. I can see that is my skill. I like to make people see people grow. And I can only do so much. I can only work, you know, 35, 40 hours a week. But if I can manage people and they, I will just triple my impact. And so, you know, I've always liked to be the captain. I always like to be the leader. I, I still today, I like to do that in my volunteer work. So, yeah, I think running taught me that you can see people's improvements by just giving them a little bit of attention. I, I would love to have coached more, but, you know, work it was difficult to do that with work. But, yeah, definitely. You're, you're absolutely right, Grant. Do you see that coming directly from the running itself or your captain, your captaincy, you know, the three for three season cap or three time capping track and cross country at PC? Was that where the the idea, the, the nugget started and you realized that you wanted that, you needed that, that was a, a strength and then realized yeah. that on a career and at X point in time years later. So that's where you see it kind of. Absolutely. Connected. You can change people's lives by showing them that you work at this, you can be successful. And all of a sudden they have this wonderful outcome, like, look what I've done. And then that gives them the confidence to do things and other things in their lives. 
Anything else that you draw from those days that you would say you bring forward now to adult life, or I should say post, um, where where the athletic life perhaps is not the same priority as it once was? I mean, it's just, just even socializing with people, getting along with people. You just, you realize that, you know, we're all trying to better ourselves, enjoy life. And so when you're with people, if you just smile at them and show them something about yourself and make a, a joke or engage them. People want, people want to be engaged and they just looking for that opportunity mm -hmm. and you just have to be willing to put yourself out there. Uh, I have to ask, since you kind of alluded to it, um, if I'm not mistaken, we have a women's Olympic marathons trial coming up this weekend. Am I right guys? Um, do you, do you this intend weekend, to watch? Yeah. Do you intend to watch and do you have any uh, prognostication as to how it may go? No, I'm not. I even really kept up with the women's marathoning. I mean, Julie Collins, she would know she'd be able to look at them and say, this one's got the right bill and this has got the right history. But no, I'm. But are you going to watch? That's I, I will. That's I will watch. Okay. I will watch, Grant, but okay. I just haven't really been able to keep. I haven't kept up as well. Well, that's a tough one because, you know, we, we all have a few miles under our belt, so to speak. So um, we've got that. Gentlemen, do you have anything else that we want to make sure yes. that we cover? Yes, John. Uh, so Janice, were there, was there anybody, a, a woman that was sort of your rival, mm -hmm. like in road racing that when you, when that, you saw that person warming up or whatever, then? You get a little knot in your stomach and go, oh, no, I got to really work hard. Uh, or, or you don't, you know, someone like, you know, who's going to challenge you. Absolutely. I would say Ann Sullivan Heard, we trained together. We raced a lot together. So I always, you know, we, we definitely had this competition because we would train together. So then when you'd get to the race, it was like, okay, we were right next to each other. Well, all the time we're training so how are we going to do in this race and so in mm -hmm. uh, heard was a, a a great runner a wonderful set records in the 20k but there were times when like i could i could beat her if i stayed right beside her or i wasn't intimidated the other one is chris mullen she and i trained together she's a a, a great quarter miler but she moved to the distance so initially i could stay right with her or beat us often in long distance races, but she was, she was a wonderful person and kind and thoughtful and very sweet girl. So you, you didn't want to, you didn't feel this need to like, you know, I've got to beat her by a lot, but you were like, Oh, there she is. She's this wonderful person. That I always looked up to. I got to see if I can get to her and get by her. Now what about uh, Kim Goff? Did she? Did she... Oh, absolutely. Kim Goff too. Yeah. Absolutely. She was, we, we definitely traded places a lot. She moved up to the marathon. So I, I stayed at the 10 K five K level. Um, so I was lucky that I could beat her at those races, but she, I could never, ever have come next to her in a marathon. And Sue Radcliffe. Oh, she's another one. Yeah. Sue and I in college, especially we traded leads many times. Mm -hmm. She's a good, very good friend of mine. A very good yeah. friend of mine. One of my best Who's friends. Ron, do you have any 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 last uh, last questions or thoughts? Well, just just common themes from other episodes we've had. The beginning of Title IX, in parallel with the running boom, it just offered women just so many more opportunities. And to Janice's point, 
the opportunities that women started to have then and have now as far as competing in college, the scholarships that are offered, it, it's just the way it's grown has been just a big, big positive for the sports communities and especially the running communities. So yeah, it's great to see Janice, the success you've had in the, on the road, but also in your career as well. Well, I think that brings us to a good moment and to say thank you uh, to Janice Cataldo for being our guest on episode five, season three of the Runners Reunion podcast. Don't be shy, listeners. Send us your comments, suggestions for guests, and pump those ratings. We do want to hear from you wherever you get your podcast. So thank you, Janice, for joining us again on the Runners Reunion podcast. And we look forward to seeing you on the roads or in a bar sometime soon.